So hi folks at home and uh, who are watching uh, online, it's good to be with you as well. I'm so tired of all of this being distanced. I know it's necessary. I'm not railing against that. It's just I miss being with the family and we miss you folks at home and look forward to a day, hopefully in the not too distant future, when we'll all be together at the same time. And uh, we did add a, an early service this morning and uh, had a number of folks there that haven't been out before as that's masks required and that puts a lot more folks at ease as well. And so what a, what a joy, little by little, moving back towards hopefully some normal. Keep praying that the Lord will end this soon and uh, in the meantime that He will accomplish His purpose in us. Well, I hope you got your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 13. As we start this last chapter of Hebrews, we'll be this month finishing up our study here. The sign on the desk read, I can only be nice to one person per day. Today is not your day. Actually, tomorrow isn't looking good for you either. I hope you never had to deal with that person. I have. (laughs) This last chapter of Hebrews gets down to the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to live faithfully as people of faith. We've seen in chapter 11 and chapter 12 as we've learned what faith is, we've learned how to live as people to live in faith, and now we're learning here in this chapter how to live faithfully as people of faith. It gets down into the nitty-gritty commands uh, for what daily living looks like for godly people. And today we're talking about love, about loving people. You know, it's easy to say we love people. It's easy to say that in general, but... It's when it gets down to the specifics. (laughs) To people in particular, it can get challenging when you run into that person with that sign on their desk. It was the great philosopher Linus of the Peanuts comic strip who said one day out of frustration, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. And most of us can identify with that sentiment once in a while. Mankind as general is just fine, but... (laughs) Well, verse 1 starts off with just four words. Four words. If you're ever looking to memorize Scripture, you want to start small. Here's a great place to start. Four words, and it stands alone. You can memorize this, hopefully, in about a week or two. If you're slow, if you're fast, it'll take you... Well, you've already done it. So... um, Hey, let's just say it together. You can read it with me, all right? Just four words, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. See, you can memorize that. Let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love, uh, actually the word is Philadelphia in Greek, just like the city, uh, which is often called the city of brotherly love. Why is it called that? Because Philadelphia means brotherly love. Two Greek words that are actually put together into a compound word. It's philos or phileo, you'll recognize that, which 
means uh, great affection, affectionate love. And then there's adelphos, which means brother or literally child of, of the womb. And it's what it refers to, particularly in this passage, as in much of Scripture, when it talks about brotherly love, it, it can be love within a family, but here it's referencing to the family of God. We don't come from one physical womb, but we come from one spiritual womb. John chapter 1, those who believe, who have received Jesus Christ, God has given the right to be children of God, children born not by natural means, not by the will of an earthly father, but born of God. And so we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is talking about brotherly love, family love in the household of faith. That's what it is. What does it look like? Love in the family, love as believers is to be more than the the shallow, fickle sentiment that our world often mistakes for love and often describes as love. You know, that that emotional pitter-pat of the heart, the, the just warm, fuzzy feelings that we have. Oh, I just love to be... Now, that's not bad. I love to be with the family. I get excited coming to church because I love to be with people. I love to be with you guys, my brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's not just talking about that warm, fuzzy feeling. What does it look like? Romans chapter 12, verse 10 really helps define it for us. This brotherly love, it says there, again, it's another command, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Then it defines what that is. Honor one another above yourselves. Brotherly love is the honoring, the the esteeming someone higher than us. See, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love really is selfishness. And this verse explains that. Brotherly love is putting another above yourself. Now here in our text, what I realize is that this is no minor concern. This is no little minor point of Scripture and minor point of this text. And I get that because, for one thing, if we move beyond this text, there are over 50 commands in the New Testament for us to love one another. If we just go on the volume of those, what we realize is that's big. Another reason it's big, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God for God or because God is love. What that passage is saying is not that we earn salvation, we earn heaven by loving people. It's not saying that, that we, you know, that, that Salvation is, is by works. We know that Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 says that's not the case. But what it is saying is this. When we are born again into the family of God, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, as I said from John 1, we are born again. And when we're born again, we inherently, as those born of God, start to bear the family resemblance. 
The image of our Father starts to show up in us, in our character and our actions. And since God, as it says here, is love, we start to display that in the way that we treat one another. On the other hand, this verse is saying, if we claim to know God, if we claim to have a relationship with Him, if we claim to be born again, but we don't love others, then one of two things is true. Either we are not saved at all, we're fooling ourselves, or something is very wrong. We are spiritually ill, spiritually sick. Something wrong in our relationship with God. That's the point of this text here in 1 John 4. You see, the Bible makes a very strong connection between our relationship with God and our love for others. It's a strong connection between those. Go to many passages, we won't take the time, but I'll just go to one I think of the most significant ones, John chapter 13. The upper room, the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before His crucifixion, Jesus told His disciples, By this all men will know that you are My disciples, in that you love one another. He says, If you're my disciples, you will love one another. If you don't love one another, something's wrong. And he actually gives the right to the world to look at us and to evaluate our relationship with him based on whether we love one another or not. You see, next to our faith in Jesus Christ, our love for one another is the second highest mark of our, of our faith. Thirdly, our text tells us not only that we are to love one another and be faithful in that, it's not a minor concern. It also says, let it continue. Let brotherly love continue. In other words, don't let it fade. Don't let it fade away. Our love for one another needs to be continually. It needs to be ongoing. It needs to be sustained over the long haul. Not just something that showed up once ten years ago. Something that is a continual part of our life. But not only continual over the long haul, but consistent. Our love for one another needs to be consistent. Not just when we feel like it. But even when we don't, because it's not a, based on feelings. Not just while we're at church, while the pastor or the elder or a deacon is watching. Not just while the camera's on. See? But it should be when the camera's off, when no one else is around. It should be not only at church, but at work. Not only at work, but at school. It should be at home. Not just when we're dealing with people that are easy to love, but when we're dealing with the person on the desk who says, I can only be nice to one person per day, and you're not it. 
Love is still there. The great reformer John Calvin, in his commentary, wrote this. This precept, this command here in Hebrews 13.1 is generally very needful for nothing flows away so easily as love. When everyone thinks of himself more than he ought, he will allow others less than he ought. And then many offenses happen daily which cause separations. I think he's right. I think the reason that this command to love one another shows up over 50 times in the New Testament is because we need it often. We need to be reminded because nothing flows away so easily as love. Because our natural bent as sinners is not love. It was when God created us, but sin erased the default value and replaced love with selfishness. And we so easily slip into that mode of selfish thinking and we think highly of ourselves and little of others. And the consequence when that happens is divisions in our marriage, divisions in our homes, and divisions in our churches. And so this passage calls us and says, let brotherly love continue. We need a reminder that it needs to be at the forefront of our priorities. So that's a challenge. But there's some good news in this phrase. When I read there, let brotherly love continue, what I realize is that it's implying something. It says let it continue because what it means is that it's already in you. It's already there. He doesn't say start loving one another. He says let it continue. You see, as I look at Scripture, what I realize is that every one of us who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. We've been born again. And the Bible says that then God puts His Spirit in us. Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The moment that you became a believer in Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Holy Spirit came in us. And when the Holy Spirit comes in us, it says here, He pours the love of God into our hearts. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, a passage many of you have memorized, you know well, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is what grows on a, in a tree. It grows because it's a fruit tree. An apple tree bears apples. A pear tree bears pears. A, you know, a money tree grows. No, there's no such thing. You see, if a tree is healthy, it grows fruit. It goes back to that. If we are believers in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And He says, the Spirit bears fruit in us. The first thing in the list, 
What is it? You know the list? Some of you aren't sure. Love. Okay, well, that's our subject today. That's why I bring that up. It's love, joy, peace, patience, and on down the list. Okay, Galatians 5.22, another verse to put on your memory list. What it says is, we don't need to somehow just kind of stir up, okay, i got to love people. i got to create it out of nothing. What the Scripture tells us is that God has put it there. He put it in us when we were born again. We don't need to make it up. We just need to put it into practice. It's already there. The Apostle Paul wrote the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And he has commented, he comments on their, the presence of brotherly love among them. And he says, now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Why? For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I don't have to tell you guys about you need to love one another because when you became believers in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is in you and He has made it clear to you you need to love one another. And it was they were loving one another to such an extent, it says, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Notice what he says next. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You see, God puts it there, but we have to start exercising it. To start doing it. And when we do that, what I believe is God does it like a muscle. (laughs) The more we say, we determine, I am going to love others. And we start putting into practice what real love is. We find He enables us to do it more and more and more. And... That's, I think, why this command is here. If you go back in the book to chapter 6, in the book of Hebrews, it says this. It says, For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, and you still do. So as he's writing this letter, he says, You guys, have, ever since you've been believers, you guys have been loving one another, loving the saints. You've been doing a great job of it, and you still are. So why the command here in chapter 13 to let it continue? Because it so easily slips away. We so easily get sidetracked. So now, he says, you already have been loving one another. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Which brings me to a question. How are you doing this morning in loving others? See, the command to to love one another, let brotherly love continue, doesn't do a whole lot of good if we don't really evaluate where we are. And the problem with, I don't know about the problem with you, but the problem with me is I have a tendency to grade myself on the curve in everything. Yeah. Because what we do is we just kind of look around and we say, well, of course I'm a loving person. I'm a wonderful loving person. Especially when you compare me to them. 
You know, we have that person we picked out who's got that sign on their desk, I can only be nice to one person per day. But that's really not the standard. So if we're going to evaluate how we're doing, I think we need to open the book. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to double-dog dare you this morning. This week, open up 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know that chapter that a lot of people call the love chapter. Open it up. Verses 4 through 8. Go there and take a piece of paper in your Bible and just write out that each phrase of that verse, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, after you've written each one of those down, then go next to each one and give yourself a grade. You don't need a big fancy grading system, just something as simple as pass, (laughs) mediocre, fail. And I bet most of us won't make it more than a couple of things down the list before we go, ooh, need work on that one. Need work on that. Oh. Then what do you do? And I think we need to get on our knees and say, God, look where I'm failing here. I need help. Probably the next thing we need to do is go to some of the folks that we've failed with our family, spouse, our friends. And then aim to start putting it into practice. Love is patient. Do I have a problem with patience? Okay. God, I'm going to work on this one. Let's work on this one today. I've heard never pray for patience. (laughs) Probably a good thing not to pray that He'll bring things in, but pray you'll learn it. Pray be kind. I think God wants to transform our relationships because we are called as believers to have brotherly love for one another. And if it's not present in our life, if we are not growing in this in our life, may I say we are out of God's will. We are out of His desire for us. And the reason for that ultimately is there's something wrong in our relationship with Him. We've got to get down on our knees and do some business with God. There's two more things in very little time, so we're going to move quickly. Two more verses. But that's the big command. The next two commands, the next two things in, this, in these three verses are really just a sub-command. They're an outflow of that. Love one another. The next one is this, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. 
Be faithful in love. And one way we show that is we are to be hospitable. Hospitality, the Greek word is literally just lover of strangers or lover of, of guests. We have to remember in those days there were no hotels, there were no motels, there were, uh, there were some inns occasionally, but from everything I read, when and where they existed, they, were, they tended to be very seedy places. And in the experience of these believers, as they're looking to put into practice this brotherly love, as they're dealing with love for fellow believers primarily, in their experience, there are two groups of people, fellow believers, who are especially in need of this hospitality. One was believers who had been displaced for their homes because of persecution. In other words, they're refugees who need shelter. The other was missionaries, traveling preachers. So we see examples. The Apostle Peter staying in the home of Simon the Tanner. You see uh, the Apostle Paul staying in the household of Lydia and later in Aquila. He says, Some, by exercising hospitality, have entertained angels unaware, unknowingly. There are a few little examples of that in Scripture, not many, but back in Genesis chapter 18, you recall uh, Abraham who sees three men and he goes and makes lunch for them and sits down and it turns out to be uh, Jesus Christ Himself, the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, and a couple of angels. The next chapter, the two angels go on down to Sodom and Lot sees them and brings them into his house. You go to the book of Judges, Gideon entertained an angel, prepared a meal for the angel. You see uh, Samson's parents, Manoah, who as well uh, had an angel in their home. There's a few examples, but it's not there so we can go, wow, I should start hosting people in my home. I've got to start having people over because one of these days I'm going to get an angel. Yeah. So you start looking, I think maybe they're an angel. Go get them. That's not the motivation here, and that's not the point. The point is that it's trying to motivate us to hospitality because by the simple act of hospitality, by such a simple thing, the consequences, the fruit of it, may be something way beyond our imagination. Remember in Matthew chapter 25, as Jesus is describing the judgment of the Gentile nations there in Matthew 25, Jesus says, Truly, as you did this to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. The Bible talks a lot about hospitality. Now, while today with motels and hotels and prosperity, uh, there's not a lot of need as much as there was as there was in those days for uh, th that type of hospitality of bringing strangers into our home on a regular basis. Nonetheless, there's need for hospitality. Let me just give a few applications for us today, I think, from this. First is, we need to take care of traveling missionaries and pastors. There are occasions where people are passing through and they need a place to stay. And uh, we should jump at the opportunity uh, one of the great blessings in our home has been to have 
different pastors and, and missionaries who come through and stay there and to, to get to know them and learn of their, of their ministry and stuff. If there's ever an opportunity, we ought to be fighting for the chance, graciously, to bring them into our homes. Another application of this is we simply need to be generous with what we have in caring for our brothers and sisters who have need, even those we don't know. The body of Christ is much broader than our little assembly here. When we know of brothers and sisters that have need, we ought to help out. And along with that, and I said this a second ago, we need to be generous with what we have. We need to share our home. We need to be willing to share our food, to share our time, and to share our resources, to share our help, to share our company with people that we don't even know. Along with that is don't focus just on people that we know. We have a tendency to do that. It's a good thing to have your friends over for dinner, though none of us are having many people over for dinner right now in these days. But when that opportunity arises again, it's a good thing to have our friends over for dinner, but I don't think that really fulfills this command. Instead, we need to be looking for the strangers around us. Those folks that are new to the area, those folks that are new to the church, those folks that don't seem connected, or people that you might not know, May I suggest one way to apply this for us here in this church is start with people in the church that you don't know. One of the sad things for me who has the opportunity to at least in superficial or, or small ways, I should say, gets to know most everybody is I realize that there are a lot of people in this church that are strangers to most of you. I think that's a sad thing. It's difficult because we have two services. Finally again, by the way. But we need to make efforts, break out of our comfort zone to meet people that we don't know because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ and just share a little love. Lastly in this, we need to be less concerned with having friends than being a friend. One of the tragedies to me over the years, I've heard a few people say over the years in this church, you know, I really don't have any friends here. This isn't really a very friendly church. And when I pick myself off the floor, because what I usually hear from people is, this is such a friendly place, what a loving bunch of people these are is I say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But I say, you know, I cannot find a verse in Scripture or a promise, and maybe if one of you can, inform me, help me out. But I haven't found a promise or a verse of Scripture yet that says you're going to have a best buddy. You're going to have a... You're going to have be surrounded by just awesome friends who just love on you and dote on you. I can't find that promise in Scripture. 
There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, but it's talking about Jesus, by the way, in the Proverbs. Well, I don't find that promise in Scripture. What I do find is the, the command and the urging to love others, to be a friend to others. And I think an awful lot happens when we quit trying to focus on me and we focus on others. Things change. We are, we are called to love differently than we tend. You see, what we do is we like to surround ourselves with people that we're attracted to. We like to surround ourselves with people that we like and with people who are like us. We like to surround ourselves with people that make us feel good, but love calls us to be concerned about things that are different and people who are different. People who may not be like us, people who might be a little odd, people who might be the outcasts, people who might be misfits, people who might be difficult to get along with, and we're called to love them. Perhaps especially are we called to love the outcast. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time with outcasts. Hmm. Okay, very quickly. I spent too much time on that one. One last one. Verse 3. It says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. There's some question whether that last phrase, since you're also in the body, it could mean because you're in the body of Christ. Others would say what it means is because this could happen to you. There's a question which one it means. The answer is obviously both because both fit here. Because obviously the context is, the whole focus here is brotherly love for those who are in the family of God or brothers and sisters in Christ. And also... What's certain is that mistreatment and imprisonment were a real part of their experience as Christians. Pastor Dyer, a couple of weeks ago, when he was, when he was preaching, uh, he read from chapter 10, he read these verses. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you became believers, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering, this translation says, of your property. You see, these folks had endured persecution. They had also stood with those and and cared for those who were enduring persecution. So both of those concepts are here in this verse. This verse is saying you've been there, you've experienced this, you've done this before. Don't forget to keep remembering and to keep caring for those who are suffering now. You know, it's very difficult to call ourselves a loving people if we have no interest, no concern, and no care for fellow believers who are being persecuted. Reality, persecution is not a major problem for 
I don't think any of us in this room. It's not a major problem in our country. Yes, it does exist. It exists in personal levels at some job job places. Some of you have suffered different pushbacks and, and ridicule and difficulties at work because you're a believer. It happens sometimes to folks at school. Some students have suffered because of their stand for Christ. We've heard of some in recent years who have paid a price with their businesses because they have taken a stand as, uh, as believers in according to the Word of God. We know that even during, this, uh, during these pandemic days, there have been some churches across our land that have suffered, who have been unfairly restricted or banned from meeting while casinos, bars, stores, and, and protests get free reign. So it does exist here, but the far greater problem of imprisonment, certainly, and suffering for Christ exists in other countries, other places around the world, out of our sight and often out of our mind. Not a week goes by where I don't get multiple emails telling some of their stories. A few weeks ago, I read about an incident in March. A young lady named Rachel in Lahore, Pakistan. One afternoon, a mosque over its loudspeakers said that it would be distributing government food in response to the COVID pandemic. Rachel was thrilled because her family, like so many others, was struggling financially. They were desperately needing food. And so she went and stood in line. Waited, 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 waited for I don't know how long. Finally got to the front of the line. And she did as everyone before her had done. Showed their government ID and waited for her food. And they said, oh, your ID says you're a Christian. No food for you. She and all other believers in that village were refused food or that city. They were desperate. Fortunately, by the grace of God, a Christian relief agency came a few days later and provided food for all of those who had been denied. April 19th of this year in Jiamen, China, authorities raided the Jingguang Church Then, not long later, May 3rd, there was another raid. This raid left many of the members injured and many of them as well detained by the police. Then on June 11th, more than a hundred officers came and destroyed the church building. Then, less than two weeks ago, on July 26th, the authorities returned one more time and tore down an apartment building which had been connected to the church which housed a number of Christian families. That's just the tip of the iceberg of stuff that I'm reading almost every day. What are we to do in light of those things and in light of this command here? What are we to do? How do we put this Remember the persecuted in practice. Let me suggest just a few things. First, stand with them. 
If it's someone in our workplace, if it's someone in our school, if it's someone on our sports team, if it's someone in our social circle, what, whoever takes the heat, whenever someone takes the heat because of their stand for Jesus Christ, we are to come alongside of them to encourage them. Stand with them. You're not alone in this. Secondly, we are to speak up for them. Whether it's something local, something domestic in our, in our country, or even if it's something foreign around the world, often there is opportunity for us to speak a word to those who are in charge, to the authorities. To stand up for persecuted people. And when that opportunity is there, perhaps we ought to take advantage of that opportunity. Many of you may know and remember the story of Asia Bibi. Asia Bibi was arrested and sentenced to hanging for her stand for Jesus Christ. It took ten years, but it was the voices of hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world that put enough pressure on the government of Pakistan that stayed her execution again and again and again, and just last year secured her freedom. We need to speak up for them. If we're going to do those things, we have to be informed. We cannot remain ignorant. Get educated. How do you do that? Well, if you don't know how, I'll just tell you, take the word persecution Type it into your computer with and then dot org or dot com. One will get you Voice of the Martyrs. The other will get you International Christian Concern. I don't remember which one does what. But I know one of each of those work. Or go to gospelforasia.org. There are others, but that's just three. It's not hard. And all you got to do is just say, send me your email. And every couple of weeks or every week you'll get an email. Hey, here's what's going on. Let me tell you, every one of them tell you different stuff. What that tells you is it's, it's more than any group can keep up with. What are we to do about it once we get informed? Well, we pray. Pray for them. That's the number one thing they ask for. Pray for us. And their number one prayer request is not that suffering ends. It's that we'll stay faithful. Lastly, when you have opportunity and when the Lord moves you, give. Every one of these organizations is involved in getting help to people that need it. So that, just like in the case of of, um, uh, Rachel in Pakistan, she got food because somebody here gave money through one of these organizations that got to her and her family. Very practical things. Brothers and sisters, we are called to love one another. Let's not let it fade. Let us be instead what God desires for us is to be growing in love, growing in His likeness in the way that we love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's so practical. At the same time, it's so terribly convicting because we look in the mirror here of Your Word and what we see is, I have failed. Father, what are we to do with that? Though we confess it to You, Lord, and we ask for Your help. Change us. 
Make us more like Jesus. Father, how we want to be effective and faithful and loving our husbands, our wives, our children, our brothers and sisters in church, our brothers and sisters even around the world. Lord God, may we love to such an extent that when the world looks at us, they will see Your love and they will know that we are followers of Jesus. In His name we pray.